The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. You can find the show at Dugout Study Hall and Alexander and I at Chase underscore Rate and at The Corked Matt all on Twitter. Email us at dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com with your comments and questions. On this episode, we will talk about some players we expected to do great things in 2021 who struggled and, dare we say, busted. We will also talk about fantasy pet peeves and whether the last week of the regular season should factor into your fantasy playoffs. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? Matt, I am not doing too bad today. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well as well. Uh, I uh, hear that you had to do a little furniture movement today. Let's uh, let's deep dive into that. Uh, we, we got our recording delayed just a touch here, and I have to know what was going on. So um, we're getting rid of a TV stand. Um, because, uh, we had too much black Ikea furniture in my home and, uh, <laughs> apparently that was messing with some things. So, uh, we, uh, we got rid of one of them and we got someone to come pick it up and pay us money for it, which is a real win. Oh um, yeah. That's, so. that's huge. It's not just having to get rid of it. It's having somebody pay you for the privilege. Uh, it mm, can happen to mm-hmm. the best of us. Too much of that Ikea stuff lying around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we're all probably guilty of that to a certain extent. Well, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy you were able to, to ditch it Thank and, you. and make some cash in, in the process. Um, all right. I want to jump into the bell ringer here a little earlier than we normally do. And we're going to skip our weather conversation because it's due for <laughs> us to just not talk about it. Um, and I want to ask you now that the fantasy baseball season is coming to a close, uh, maybe for some people you're already out of it. Um, and I'm sorry for you. There can only be one winner in each league, right? So most people walk away just a little disappointed, at least. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve about fantasy baseball in general? Uh, the thing that kind of just irks you the most that you would love to change if you could. How much time do you have? <laughs> well, we uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, so maybe pick your favorite pet peeve. If you've okay. got like a whole uh, farm I'm, of pet peeves. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to limit this uh, specifically um to fantasy i i tend to find um a lot of like the draft discourse about like value to be kind of weird where it's like you know like you got to make sure you reach for these guys i find that in particular is like a a subset of like discussion it's like which guys you gotta like be willing to just like throw out the book and good process for because it's like oh yep if you don't get them you're gonna lose like that that feels wrong 
Uh, yeah. That... And it feels like we're going to get back there um, here in like four months where like um, <laughs> yeah, right. whoever like uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Jr. is going to be, uh, we'll see like um, <laughs> the... Fernando Tatis Jr. Jr. I like that. I get. I yeah, get yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. next, the next Vlad Guerrero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we can keep doing this. The next Bo Bichette. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, it would make actually, a great pot if we just spent forty-five minutes listing, <laughs> listing players. Hey, these are all people who are themselves juniors. It works. That's true. Yeah, that that so. is true. Um, interestingly enough, it was. I don't know if you you caught this or not, but uh, Vlad hit his fortieth, and um, now there's only two sets. There was only one. There was there are now two sets, but still, that's not a lot of father sons, uh, father son combinations with forty home run seasons. Uh, the the uh, the Guerreros and uh, the I think the Fielders. It's a fielders. Mm-hmm. That's what's right to me. Yeah. yeah. The, the very particular thing that I feel like I'm pointing to is, you know, um, a lot of the uh, kind of gambling driven decisions yeah. that people yeah. will make. I tend to be very, I tend to find very like unanalytical, but also uninteresting because like <laughs> most people I know don't spend just gobs of money on like, uh, like NFBC. And there are some people who do, and I feel like a lot of people who like tune into their content are just doing it to kind of live vicariously through them, not because they're like depending on their analysis mm. for like one to one, also NFBC content. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just like you're spending a lot of money, and that means that the people you're playing against must be trying really hard, right? And, you know, there, there's this whole like section of like strategy built around it. And there's some really smart people who play those and make money. Right. Definitely. But. I feel like we have to treat it as what it is. Well, um, it's a very different animal. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you're playing in a, a head-to-head roto, uh, not roto categories, or a head-to-head points league, you know, with playoffs, it's okay if you finish third. If you're yeah. playing one of those money leagues, especially if it's got an overall, the the yeah, mindset is you have to yeah. go all in because finishing second is is the same as finishing 12th or 15th or whatever your your league size is. So, it's a totally different mindset and I get that and I like I I've said before, I don't take that away from anybody, but I do think it's really important that people know where the advice they're listening to is coming from and the function and purpose. And I think a lot of people putting that out there are fairly good at saying like, "Hey, listen, this is what we're doing." Uh, and, and this is kind of the context, but I, I don't know if everybody who's kind of digesting that and consuming that really is hearing that. Um, yeah, so I, make I, I think point. maybe I could refine the thing that annoys me most is that, yeah, but you can't do that if you're trying to win the overall. Um, anytime I hear those words, there's just a part of me that's just like, um, where is the nearest like blunt object I can like yeah, hit I mean, if my you, it's uh, that, forehead uh, on? A lot of people aren't doing that. Right, so I don't have the money to do that. Yeah, it's a totally different, totally different animal. You're 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 really playing two different games. It's it's like it's like looking at roto ranks for a points league. It's just you're you're talking apples and oranges. So um, no, I think there are a lot of people who can do that stuff and kind of make those caveats in like a smart way. But it's typically about their own analysis. It's usually when that's an interjection against something that like someone else has said. You know, like you're bringing that into the discussion. Um, very unnecessarily. I, I think that's the thing that, that I, if I finally can put it on that, like it, you would think that's too niche and it won't be. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it doesn't anyways. surprise me that uh, your pet peeve is analytics driven. Mine is far more 
simple, and that is uh, people who are incredibly difficult to trade with. Uh, trades in fantasy okay. baseball yes. are are really exciting and fun, and I've gotten to the point in a lot of places where um, the frustration outweighs the eventual benefit of swinging a deal. And I I think I'll, this year I I. I I just stopped trying in a lot of places and cases. And listen, I understand people don't want to be the one to give up the next big thing, but asking prices for people who aren't quite what what they may, may be, you can't ask ask people to be paying what they might turn into before they've turned into it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, that's the thing that bothers me. is, And I feel like it's getting worse. And, and actually, I think it might be a little bit linked to what you're talking about because a lot of this this analysis that's driven by, uh, you know, putting putting all your chips in the center of the table to try and and be in first place or win an overall has put a lot of pressure, I think, on people hearing and wanting to be the one who owns the next big thing or the guy who's about to break out. And you hear a lot of, oh, that's my guy, that's my guy. I can't trade that. Like, okay, but um, you know, you're you're not going to swing a lot of deals and make your team better if all of the guys on your roster are awesome and all the guys on my roster are <laughs> terrible and undervalued it's just you're never going to get to a happy medium yeah there's a, a homely guy man that's a kind of keeper dynasty ish and mm-hmm. uh i'm sitting in second it seems like that might be where i i land uh, if i'm not careful there's a guy who's <laughs> probably going to win the league uh, and he's probably made uh 25 or 30 trades this year uh wow. most of which have been fair and yeah. reasonable he's just constantly trying to churn through things and doesn't think of his players that way and it's allowed him to rebuild this team really quickly i have probably traded with him 10 or 15 times this year and it's helped me kind of do the same thing i've won some of them really really like easily and i've lost a few of them pretty badly and it's way more fun that way yeah 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 um, well i mean if you're if you're decent at it you're gonna lose trades but in the end you're, you're hoping you win more than you lose and you come out slightly ahead uh, you know, if you're winning every trade, if you're annihilating the the rest of the league in every trade you make, if you're you're just getting tons and tons of value, then I mean, there's something there's something wrong about that in terms of like the balance of the league or the skill set of the the league or, or whatever's going on. You shouldn't be able to fleece people all the time. Um, it just shouldn't work that way. Anyway, that's that's what that's my biggest pet peeve is that I think either it's my experience that trading has become more difficult. Uh, or it's, it's, you know, um, a a kind of an industry wide thing where people are just planting a lot of flags and, and unwilling to part with players, not necessarily for actual value reasons. Now, one more kind of like caveat on your point there. Um, a lot of those gambling style leagues where there are overall components for the sake of fairness, don't allow trades, which by the way, Mm. has the knock on effect of making steals and saves much more expensive on draft day than they sure. otherwise would be because you can't trade with your league mates for them if they end up having an excess for what would be a normal league because they're right. trying to win like an overall steals sort of title which is you know it, it is what it is i guess um but yeah, like yeah 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 
yeah. totally different. It's like scratch offs and and numbers, like you know, in, in the lottery. You're just playing two different games. They're they're yeah. both lottery, but they're completely different. Anyway, yeah. I think we've made our point, so I I will move on. I apologize for beating that dead horse, but was it, there a was there something that uh, drew this up out of nowhere to make you uh, ask me so you can get on <laughs> no, your high no. about trades? It's, it's this isn't something that like in my my one of my home leagues like is driving me nuts. No, not at all. I just was curious. I I think like I don't know. I tend to be a little bit of a reflective person just in general. Um, and so as I'm getting towards the end here and, and there were a number of leagues that I just uh, got destroyed in just very bad showing. And then in my two home leagues, I'm in the playoffs and, uh, and that's, you know, it's just kind of interesting to think about like, how did I get there? What's the difference? And in a lot of cases, it's who, who's in some of these leagues, my nerf league, I just, Roto's not my thing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of heavy hitters in there and I just, it just wasn't, wasn't my year for any of that sort sort of thing. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think it was just out of born out of reflection of like, Hey, what is, what can I do differently next year? What do I need to work on? Um, uh, especially to make sure that it stays fun. Um, I think that there was a time that I yeah. had this year where yeah. I actually, it was causing me anxiety because things weren't going well. And that just made me ignore it a little bit because it was giving me uh, anxiety. And then that certainly didn't help. Uh, so, you know, I mean, in the end it's fantasy baseball and I, I needed to yeah, prioritize yeah. my headspace. Um, so a lot of that, that thinking as well, but uh, no, I was just curious. I, I, I kind of had a feeling we would be coming at it from two different places as well. So that's always kind of fun. Um, all right, I want to move into uh, our number of the week. And this is kind of a bizarre number. Uh, maybe it's not. I don't know. But I don't really quite understand what this number is. Um, and I'll, I'll tell the story about how I came to this number afterwards because I do want you to try and guess the player. I love playing guess the player. And when it's one player against the field, it's <laughs> it's so unfair to you. But uh, it's still fun for me. Uh, so I want to I want to bring up this number and I help maybe you can help me understand the number that I'm going to talk about. If you go to a fan the FanGraphs page for a player, over where it says WAR, uh, yep. there are a couple of other categories there that look like almost like WAR is being calculated by base running WAR plus offensive WAR plus defensive WAR equals WAR, but it doesn't say WAR. It says OFF. Uh, and for this player, that number is a negative 23.6. And that is poignant and that is important uh, as we move forward because I don't quite entirely grasp what this is, but I know it's not good. Uh, and combined with some other numbers, uh, I, I think we'll paint that picture. But could you explain to me for a minute here, uh, maybe even less than a minute, um, what exactly is that number telling us? Because it's there and it's easy to see, but it's not super clear. Okay, so I'm going to start by what it isn't. Um, okay. So this player is not like worth 23 losses to their team on offense. <laughs> so that would be that um, would be really bad. Notable, yeah. historic, fun, maybe. No, no. On reflection, no, not fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that is like weighted offensive runs above average. It's it's uh, negative, so it ends up being below average. Right. So you take a replacement level player and you plug them into a team's lineup. How many more or fewer runs would your team score as a result? Well, this person's performance has been bad enough that their team would have scored about 23, 24 fewer runs. Or more or runs. Than it compare, yeah, they would have scored 24 more runs, right? If they had a replacement level average, player. Yeah. 
which still so, doesn't strike me as being very good, but is significantly less damaging than 23 wins. Yeah. The <laughs> going conversion rate there, uh, according to Fangraphs, is about 10 runs per win. Okay. So that's like about two and a half, coming up on two and a half losses, depending on where the year uh, lands for this player. And I'm trying to figure out who would get long enough of a leash to get there. And it is. It's oof. interesting. It really is an oof. I'm going to give you some more numbers for context. I, I thank you for, for explaining that so that it's it's clear. Um, I'm going to give you some more numbers for this player. Uh, 126 games. 504 playing, playing appearances. 25 home runs. 173 batting average on a 192 BABIP. Okay. Yielding a 70 WRC+. plus. Okay, I got one guess for this. This is uh, Eugenio Suarez. It is. You got it. Yes. I need the, sound the effects. give it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need sound effects um, and, and party hats and, and uh, well, what are those things that, that shoot out when you blow into them? Are they noisemakers or something? Or, yeah. yeah, that's really good. That's a really good pull from the field to get the one player that this is. Yeah, that's a... That's not great, and that's certainly not what people were expecting going into the season. So uh, we can use this, I think, as, as a jumping-off point into our central question, which is like, what happened to some of these guys that were supposed to be really good? Uh, some top 25 players, a couple of young guys that were supposed to be something and, and maybe didn't pan out. Um, and maybe more importantly, what does that mean for how we dig into and analyze them for next year? Are they going to be values, or are are they going to be not even worth you know, on the do not draft list. Uh, and we obviously we can start with Eugenio Suarez because that's that's where we were. Yeah, um, I I think that this is a, a good exercise for us to do before the computers start to tell us what to think at the end of the season. Now you can already <laughs> go. And, and when I say the computers, those yeah. are people. The people made those lines of code, which yeah, is right, a right, number right. that someone has told you what to think about. Um and I have tried my hand at a lot of that stuff. And uh, it is fundamentally a reflection of how you look at things. And these numbers don't mean anything unless we've got some narrative to them. Mm-hmm. So um, all that aside, I think it's worth our while to start this conversation and think about these things before we have something trying to bias our opinion too much. Now, you can go to like a Rasball player rater or uh, you can type people's stuff into like the, the fan graphs auction calculator and get like a pretty good measure of how many dollars won or lost someone has provided for you this year mm-hmm. in your league settings. Um, but I think it's really important uh, before you even head into all of that to kind of take stock of who a player actually has been and why. Um, because there's a lot that these computers cannot and will not even try to know. And you should not put yourself in a position where you're just sorting by dollars or sorting by home runs projected next year because you're going to miss a whole lot. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at this is is like there's the numbers that the average player is going to go and look at on ESPN or uh, Yahoo or whatever. And and they're going to be looking at things, the stock numbers, right? Average and home runs and RBIs and uh, steals, if if that counts in your league. Um, and then there's the the Fangraphs deeper dive stuff, and and I guess obviously we're looking at somebody with a 173 average. That's not going to show as great, but he did still hit 25 home runs. So you know if you're looking at somebody like Eugenio Suarez, 
are we are we expecting him to bounce back next year or or you know what are the underlying numbers say which which underlying numbers should we look at and trust in to give us a better idea of what's going to be good or not good next year yeah so i think it's kind of worth sorting through what we expect our competition if you want to look at it that way to care about most um it's probably like pretty trite at this point to just like complain about stat cast sliders um <laughs> we're gonna complain about stat cast sliders at we've minutes, never like, done I that i don't know what you're talking about yeah yeah um i i have some quibbles there i've actually like kind of gotten off that high horse to a degree uh because like at the end of the day like everyone's kind of in the same boat about it and like here's some information they're doing their best to tell you some relatively important things yeah it certainly isn't useless yeah. i think it, it's just important to note that for somebody who doesn't know their way around what's under the sliders they can be a little misleading in terms oh, of the yeah. picture that they paint yeah yeah I, I think that's a pretty good way to say it what's going on underneath them um because really it is just a glance and then there's a lot of numbers and it can be kind of scary um so the questions I want to be able to ask myself is, you know, like, did someone's skills get better or worse? Mm -hmm. um, did someone, like, have some other sort of change that explains everything really, really easily that we can kind of point to that's off the page? Um, or were our expectations off? Um, right. And I think for Suarez, it's it's, it's a lot of different things. Um, he's a really fun case. So let's kind of, like, talk through a couple of things that changed for him. Um, so first and foremost... Um, I think if there's one number I do want to kind of just like run to towards the top, it is like someone's like strikeout and walk numbers uh, because those are like not misleading at all. So I just want to say like those percentiles, great. I do not, however, care meaningfully about um, someone's whiff rate and chase rate in isolation. I do like to look at them and see if there's some trends from previous years to see if we were like missed something and there were some signs, but um, I would say those ones I'm not going to care as much about. So what's the deal with Suarez there? Well, his strikeout numbers have been taking up for a few years, but like 2019 or so, yeah, 2019, his strikeout rate jumped 5%. Um, mm. You'll notice that's also a year that something else somewhat important happened and that he hit uh, 49 home runs. Um, <laughs> he had a pretty good 2018 where he hit 34 home runs. Uh, the average is a little bit better. The OBP was a little bit better, but, you know, it's basically, what if you were just automatically out 5% of the time more, but you just hit for significantly more power? That was a trade he made. Um, and that trade... It seems and purposeful. It must have been purposeful, right? It's... You know, so there's a couple ways you can go and look at that, right? So you'll notice that he starts chasing more. Um, he was sitting at about 21.8, 21.6 couple back, back years, and then suddenly he jumps up to about 24%. So that's like 3% more outside the zone pitches he's going after. His in-the-zone contact starts to edge down, too. So this is someone who's really going for it. Yeah. This is a purposeful change. Um, and, yeah, so you can see, like, he has made a decision. That's not just talent changing. And those but, are the sorts of things you want to look for. Because let me ask choices you this. matter more than talent in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I, I don't mean to derail this conversation at all. I want to jump in with a thought that I just had. Is is this maybe something also to do with, with the idea that, like, pitchers are getting better at at tunneling and release points and all of that. Right. Um, and, and, and so if a player, if a player has decided like the pitch is coming in here and I'm swinging out of my shoes at it. And if it happens to be the slider, I'm going to miss it. But if it's the fastball, I'm going to crush it to Milwaukee and I'm fine with that. And I'm going to wind up striking out more because the, it's going to show that I'm swinging at pitches out of the zone. 
But what I'm doing isn't really chasing pitches out of the zone as much as zeroing in at a, at a point and deciding to swing at that pitch. And, and it's fine if it winds up being the wrong pitch. Am I way off here? That's definitely something that some people do. I, I would have to look some more about like Suarez's relative contact rates and different pitches over time. Yeah, but fair enough. I'm willing to bet, though, that if you go looking for those things, the story will tell us that he is maybe maybe he's just choking up less. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. He's going for it more often. Yeah, one way for or sure. Another. And that really panned out in 2019. But what's happened since 2019? That's like the baseline expectation for him that we've drafted on two years in a row, right? So strikeouts have ticked up just a little bit. Um, Last year, the power was even better in theory than it was in 2019. But this year, in some ways, not all, but in some ways, that power has kind of taken a dive. Um, So I want to kind of like just throw some numbers out that people would see. His barrel rate is functionally the same right? He's been like about 14% past three years in terms of barrel rate, which is like the number of barrels based off of contact. Now, the amount of contact he's produced has been basically the same. So that's comparable. I won't do my whole complaint about barrel rate just yet. It's coming. <laughs> um, the thing is, though, his like non like really teetered up quality contact has nosedived. Um, so um, his sweet spot rate um, that's like whenever you've got an, an ideal-ish combination of, uh, or, or like long change. Well, actually, just long shingle. It's not a combination. It's just like, did you hit the ball in like the line drive? But it's a little bit more than line drive combination. They'll just like yeah, land the ball yeah. in, in play basically most of the time. Gone from about thirty-eight percent to thirty over the past two years. Players don't have a tremendous amount of control over that. Um, league-wide average for sweet spot rate is about 33% this year. So he had a couple years running where he was exceeding that pretty significantly. You should probably think that that is due in some part to approach where Mm. you are taking a little bit off power-wise some of the time, especially probably with two strikes, in hopes that you can probably hit it more at like the spray and stuff that you would want to kind of like get a hit. So he stopped like trying to hit for average in some cases, he goes for it. And that shows up in sweet spot rate. Now, the other concerning thing then is that this year in particular, his line drive rate, the particular part of sweet spot that is just like even better, right, mm-hmm. has also fallen off a cliff. Now, these are things for me that are instruments that measure the luck that a player has before the ball even gets to a defender. You can be the sort of lucky where, um, you know, like, Derek Jeter's the shortstop you're hitting the ball towards or whatever you want to make the joke these days. Congrats to him. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. into the hall. Yeah, also. that's true. Congrats. Um, I'll give him his due um, for one day. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't always terrible. It's just fun to make fun of him. Um, <laughs> fun to make fun of Yankees fans. I think that's the correct way to put it. Um, but yeah, so Suarez had run some like above league average line drive rates early in his career. He starts going for it, falls off a cliff. That does not mean that he has gotten worse. There are plenty of people who go for it, who hit a ton of line drives. Mm -hmm. It's not something you have a whole lot of control over. So there are a lot of signs here that would say that Suarez made some choices that really just the stars aligned in 2019. Now, what's the other thing that's happened? They dejuiced the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's getting a little bit less out of his hard contact than he otherwise would, probably. And he's been way, way less lucky in terms of quality of contact. He's probably also like lost some confidence somewhere along the way i wouldn't i wouldn't yeah well uh, can i ask this question too if you were to overlay a narrative of he's uh, a little injured and his bat speed is a little bit less 
or he's a couple years older and he's not getting around on the ball that much, would that be something that could also explain these changes aside from just he's doing what he's doing and it's just not going his way? You know, that's probably in there to some degree. Now, if you look around, like his contact rate like or his zone contact rate, things like that, um, those look pretty much the same. He's whiffing like 1% more than he was in 2019. Uh, in the zone, yeah, he's making actually a little bit more contact in the zone than he was in 2019. So those things look the same. Um, his hard hit rate, you know, a percentage of balls that he makes contact with that have been hit hard, 95 miles an hour or more, is down from a couple years ago. And that might be the one thing that would tell me maybe maybe he does kind of have something that lingered from a previous injury or who knows. Mm. But it seems like the like, well, actually a thing about that, though, is that you tend to hit the ball really hard when you line it up well. Um, so by virtue of him just not making as much really great contact as he previously had he's probably had a few fewer out of 100 that are just smoked Um, Mm. and players don't control that all that much he could very easily based off of those sorts of conclusions that's like very quickly a path i'm always going down for a player um have they started whiffing more have they started chasing more have they started hitting the ball hard more often and have they been really unlucky in terms of like quality of contact? Those are the things I just immediately want to answer for a player. And the big reason there is those numbers stabilize quickly. Things like barrel rate. Now, it was flat here for him for a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Those take a long time to become stable. And players don't have as much control over it as we think because you've got to be able to hit line drives. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Hit it in the sweet spot, roughly. And you don't have as much control over that as people like to believe. Um that's why people don't have batting averages in the 400s. Yeah, you right, can hit line right, drives, right, you right. would do it all the time. Exactly. Um, so I'm really glad we get to start off with Suarez because he gets to talk. He gets to be an example for this thing that I care about deeply and that I think kind of goes under the radar a lot of the time. So I want to yeah. ask you this before we move on from him, as and, and maybe we can kind of include this in at the end of an uh, analysis for each of these players. But in the end... Yes, his 173 average isn't telling us the story. But next year, that's going to be what counts in my fantasy league. Right? I mean, if I'm in a roto league that has average, that's what that's what counts. And I want to draft somebody who's going to contribute to my batting average or to my home run yeah. total or, 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 right? So yeah, yeah. What, would, what would you say is the most likely outcome for next year that we're going to see regression back to his mean, which would be a good thing? Or that yeah. his approach is just not working for him and he's he he's just as likely to, to not figure it out as he is to figure it out. So obviously the playing time question, they've kind of like taken away some of his late appearances yeah. this year. Well, I mean, to be fair, that's because he's hitting 173. Yeah, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I would do that if I was trying to make the playoffs and I was you know, right, in right, charge right. of a baseball team. Like, I get it. Even if the underlying stuff says this guy shouldn't have been this bad that doesn't mean that he won't press and change his mechanics and do bad things to try to get out of that slump like right that's what happens um um, failure begets failure in some really terrible ways in baseball um but you know in in a robot world where he is just kind of like a you know a roll of the dice over and over again you'd probably bet that his batting average is somewhere close to 240 Mm. um if he's hitting a normal number of line drives and sweet spot balls or something closer to it than he currently is. 
that extra four percent like four percent of plate appearances that are um line drives or sweet spot balls that will add um probably uh 20 or 30 points to his expected batting average which is currently 203 so like you could see him having somewhere between 230 and 240 rather than 170 and if he has a lot of power then we got someone who is probably going to go pretty late in the drafts and could emulate to a degree uh, like a joey gallo or like uh, yeah, there's yeah, so many guys like who fit in this mold that are totally rosterable in every single format right uh, so he also has the benefit of playing on a reasonably okay team in a really good hitter's yeah, park. And that's why he has... Yeah. So yeah, you're reasonably comfortable saying yeah. that that if his stock drops pretty significantly, he's value on draft day. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I I would want to hopefully get him in like a uh, a league that has like um, middle infield and corner infield spots so I can have someone else ahead of him in the pecking order yeah, of his positions. Yeah, right, right. But he would be a fantastic multi-positional roll of the dice towards the end of drafts for like five bucks that'd be stoked to get next year based off of these numbers alone as long as he doesn't just get like yeeted into oblivion because of these um uh, numbers yeah. and, you know yeah, yeah, out yeah, of yeah. the since or in the off season says oh by the way i've been playing all year with something that's torn in my shoulder or whatever right yeah. i mean obviously that's yeah, that's changes the narrative all right, uh, let's move on to another one of these players, and I'm going to let you pick. I'm going to throw out a couple of names, and, and you can pick. I'm going to pick two names uh, that are, like, top 25 guys in Trevor Story and Christian Yelich, uh, and then two guys that are kind of those younger players I think people were hoping to get a little bit more out of this year in uh, Key Brian Hayes and Andrew Vaughn. All right. Um, we'll come back to the young kids. They've actually been not that bad. But let's talk about let's talk talk about uh, Trevor Story to start here. Um, as of today, uh, we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, yep. This is the eighth. Um, our good friend uh, Mikey Ahedo has put out a really interesting piece about Trevor Story um, for Baseball Prospectus. Uh, good for him. Yeah, getting, getting published in school places. Uh, <laughs> that basically just talks about how he's doing all of the same things as last year, and the results just haven't been as good. And the one thing that is different is. Well, I'll let you guess. What's changed between this year and last year? Uh, uh, um, for a story? Uh, or just no. in general? The baseball? In general. Yeah. 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 Okay. I thought you were really trying to throw me a curveball. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Please do. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really interesting to look at him. He's like a total number of extra base hits. This is, like, this is a particular number that Mikey cites, but it's one that I kind of went and like... Is like, is Mikey right? And I was like, oh yeah, of course he is. Um, <laughs> Still, number of extra base hits, uh, like per hundred plate appearances, is like almost identical. Um, mm. Pretty much all the underlying numbers look the same. He's still striking out, and it's still like mid twenties plays. He's still hitting about the same number of barrels and all that stuff. And the results just aren't as good because it seems like finally there is drag on the baseball in Colorado, yeah. and that is uh, leading to an outcome where um, it does not land in the bleachers as often for uh, Mr. Trevor Story. Mm-hmm. Um, he is probably just as talented as he's ever been. <laughs> probably. I don't know. He's getting slightly older, but not a meaningfully. Yeah, right. It's not like he's been like really big hurt or anything like that. Right. Um, so we talked preseason. Uh, a lot of people talk preseason about who the D-juice ball was going to hurt most. And it was the sort of people who had a whole lot of balls that just barely went over the fence, mm-hmm. but gave themselves a lot of opportunities. Because you take four feet off of 
a lot of opportunities, that's going to be a whole lot more doubles. Now, he's been lucky. Colorado is such a big park to hit into yeah. that he's reaping the rewards in terms of a lot of doubles. He's at like 30 on the year, mm-hmm. 31, something like that. Um, and, you know, previous years, he played a full season. wasn't on that sort of pace. Now, the home runs, not there. Right. That's a problem. So in a, um, especially in a roto league where you're not really getting any credit for a double versus a single. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can make a similar case that a lot of the regression that we've seen from Francisco Lindor, by mm-hmm. the way, is very similar to the sort of regression we've seen. Now, Lindor also has the, the extra problem of city field um, is right. a little bit less friendly than um, the confines in Cleveland. Uh, but still, like you can apply this same like idea here that volume like balls to the outfield guys who don't just smash at 115 miles an hour off the bat are having trouble this year mm-hmm. uh dj lemayhew another name yeah really obvious he's not even a double digit home runs yet um yeah. <laughs> it's very clear that that's an element of this uh now another part of story in particular he tends to hit the ball to all fields um he does definitely not just try to pull the ball all of the time which a lot of these other guys do uh which means you know he's losing the opposite field home runs in particular so you know uh Can yeah, I, I want to put you on the spot here i want to i'm going to put you a little bit to the test and i it, maybe it'll take you a second to look something up and that's fine um if you were going to write the trevor story is a bust next year article what stat would you lead with and if you were going to write the trevor story is value next year What's the stat you would lead with? Oh, man. Um, so I think it's all going to come down to price um, for him. Okay. He's really, really helpful in that. Like, we actually know who he is. Sure. Um, I guess what so I'm getting at is, like, lands. if you're yeah. going to, like, if you're looking forward, and I uh, sure, ADP and, and value and all that is a factor, and I, and I don't want to dismiss it. But I guess maybe I'll, I should rephrase what I'm trying to get at. Like, if you're looking, if you're making the case that Trevor's story is going to be bad next year, what's the stat that kind of hints at the fact that he might be bad next year? And if you think Trevor's story is going to be just fine next year, what's the stat that hints at the fact that he might be just fine next year? Um, I, I, that's more what I mean. I, I, it's totally okay. fair okay. that ADP, yeah, is going to come into play in terms of bust and 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 all that sort of stuff. So. I'll, that's my bad on the phrasing. Uh, so let's. Oh, you're you're fine. Let's yeah, look yeah. at. Yeah, I, I just want to kind the of the positive number. Yeah, what's the negative right, number right, for right, him? Right. Yeah, I would say that the more positive outlook for him is going to pretty much come down to the fact that he's almost guaranteed to be in a better offensive environment, and all of the other analysis we do is always so vacuumy. Yeah, um, well, I was actually going to make that point too at the end and yeah, just say like, like I, I also have to imagine that for him like it's probably hard to get up to that plate and be super amped and into it at this point. Uh, but that's a whole other God. set of variables. Uh, so I, I guess in terms of like off season prep work for your draft, if, if I want to convince myself story is going to be great. Um, I, I guess what you're looking at are going to be things like max exit velocity. You're going to look at line drive rate, stuff like that, and make sure that that, that stuff is on par. And what yeah, it, I mean, yeah, I think that the thing about him is it's not like this season has dramatically altering what we know about his talents. Um, this right. is like a really like, like almost like feels like alchemy or like wish casting a lot of the time is that like when you try to determine how talented someone is, it kind of doesn't 
show up in a discernible way. And there's a whole lot of people who uh, like to do a lot of things with numbers to try to chase after that rabbit. And it just doesn't appear no matter how many mm. times you do linear regression uh, because choices matter. And right, right. you're in the opposing pitcher does not need to choose to give you anything worth hitting. Uh, have you seen some of the lineups that they're rolling out every day? Yeah, that's right. Why would you go after Trevor Story right at this point? Right. So, so if Trevor Story signs with the Detroit Tigers next year, and um, I or like the Baltimore Orioles or someone <laughs> who is like also not all that scary, but maybe a little bit more scary, mm-hmm. he would improve. If he signs with the uh, New York Yankees in the offseason, um, my willingness to draft him is going to be uh pretty high okay. uh, i i definitely think that you know it, a lot of that it's going to come down to those sorts of things uh because you know at this point we we don't think that he's like hurt we yeah, don't right. think that he's like pressing he's probably just seeing a bunch of junk you know, you know where we could look that up is we can go and we can go look at his own. Talk this through. Yeah. Talk this through as we go. It's a, do we're do this is this is awesome. This is like teachable moment. So talk us through exactly what you're doing. Where are you going and what are you looking for and why? Yeah. So uh, uh, the hypothesis here, right? To be scientific, well, you know, we teach us to the sixth graders. It hasn't gone away. <laughs> uh, the hypothesis here is he's probably seeing more junk than usual because the team's more bad than usual. Okay. Let's go. Actually, well, I'm going to check one thing. His yeah. past two years really really whack unsustainable line drive rates over 30 percent this year 25 league average um so he has regressed to the mean a little bit over past years so i i've kind of i've missed that actually from previous years now um he didn't turn those gigantic line drawing numbers into huge barrel numbers which would tell us though um that he was getting a good number of like non-barreled home runs which are pretty much just barely over the fence home runs mm, yeah exactly um, the kind yeah. that are going to be affected by a, a, a deadened ball yeah absolutely there you go um and those will also uh the the line drives he was getting that weren't barrels are also just going to be base hits in order to inflate his batting average his expected batting average has benefited from those mm-hmm. but you know he's batting what 249 this year um yeah that's that feels right when the, the line drives dry up your batting average goes down because a lot of those are singles by the way that that turn into right. ground nuts or flyouts whenever they regress yeah okay but uh checking his zone rates and stuff like that will tell us about the sort of quality of the stuff that he's seeing so um yeah this year oh it's actually up huh that's interesting you know his like zone contact looks the same his chase stuff looks the same he's um you know he's he's striking out about the same amount. What about pitch he's, type? Uh, can you look at that? Are, is the pitch mix uh, different? Is that it, something you can? He's seeing a few see? fewer fastballs. Yeah, uh, but like nothing dramatically crazy. Hmm. Yeah. This this merits some this merits some more looking. I, I would say that a lot of it is just the unluckiness of the the ball changing and some regression and luck. And you know how many guys it's, this is going to be the story? It kind of gets boring almost. Yeah. Uh, whenever you yeah, look through yeah, the years. Yeah, yeah. It's not boring, right? It, it, you just realize how many guys, like uh, Michael Conforto, I traded for him earlier this year, and I, like after I traded, I was like, oh, all of his success last year. Same thing. And, and yeah. there's so many guys you can find this fun. There are more interesting stories, I promise. But for story, I do think that he's a good um, example of like the story might be that. Oh, God, that's a terrible pun. Um, <laughs> we have said the word story a lot. Uh Okay. Now you also asked about uh, Christian Yelich. And I just yeah. wanted to say, um, I don't really want to touch that too much because I don't have a good answer other than that I think he's hurt. 
And, yeah, that's that's um, fair. What about like Cody Bellinger then instead? Uh, and uh, we don't I have to spend ten minutes. Same idea. Think he's hurt. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's weird. A lot to of see. really good research. Can I butt in here? Really? Yeah, quickly? yeah. No, please do. That suggests that if you play while hurt, yeah, it affects you long term. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Of course, that's why that's so, my big concern with Tatis Junior. Honestly, he's still he's still putting up numbers, but I really do hope that he hasn't hurt his longevity in the game. But that's a totally different discussion for a different day. So if yeah, we're looking at Yelich yeah. and Bellinger and potentially being hurt, then what does that mean for draft day? Is that like a is that a do not draft list? If we don't know, if no news comes out in the off season and we're just kind of hoping, is that just something you stay away from? It's the sort of thing where um, spring training data would actually be interesting if we had good spring training data from Statcast spring training parks where mm. we could see things like max exit velocity. We'll also be able to just kind of watch like for Yelich. It was just like out of nowhere last year. Suddenly he was whiffing at everything, and he's kind of kept a little bit of that up. Yeah. Um, you remember like the the narrative coming in draft days? Oh, he fixed it in the second half of the season. Well, he's still been hurt. Um, yeah. So those are the sorts of things where um, you probably just really, really hard avoid, and maybe you set yourself a floor for him. And if it comes to it on draft day in like December, if you're in like one of those like way early drafts, mm-hmm. you there comes a, point, a moment when you pull the trigger. Personally, for me. Um, like whenever I'm getting ready to do some of those sorts of activities, I probably am not taking Yelich in the top 50 as of right now, but it's probably about 55, 60. Whereas for Bellinger, it's like, it's gotta be outside the top 100. Um, yeah. He's been very yeah. bad. And now, I mean, there's, there's even playing time concerns, right? I mean, they've already said they're just platooning him at this point and who knows yeah. how long that carries over. I mean, managers kind of do get stuck in things. Um, I'm, I'm curious about this and then we can maybe just lump in the, the youngsters together. Uh, and you make a good point that they haven't been bad, but I think part of the reason I want to bring up youngsters is that maybe we really put too many unfair expectations on what a phenomenal future player is going to look like in their first couple of years. Um, but I'm really curious as to what's going, what you think is going on with Tommy Pham. So I could not tell you <laughs> in some ways um in that i uh, what would you okay i knew so, what the story was i knew what the story was yeah and it's not it's we've told it actually a couple times today um I, I did a thread earlier in the season about why he was so bad early in the year yeah and um lo and behold he well actually no it, for him it wasn't line drive stuff it was that he was phenomenally unlucky on hard hit balls in play um, which you would think would and, normalize at some point it did yeah, at one point. Well, when you say normalize, really what it means is just at some point the pass doesn't matter as long as the player isn't um, pressing. Uh, right, that's what I mean. Slump, like he's right? going to stop yeah. being unlucky. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily right, yeah. mean he's going to get super lucky to counteract it, but at some point that bad that bad fortune should stop. But um, again, I, you don't have to necessarily give me an answer. I think more importantly, this is about process and and you know what you decide about where you're going to take Yelich or Bellinger or Fam next year could be completely different from people listening. But I am very interested in the process and exactly what numbers you're looking at to kind of justify that. And even if you come to a different conclusion than somebody, we can at least give them the blueprint for how to go and and try and make that decision for themselves. Yeah, I think that Fam is, his season long numbers the first month or so really screwed with them. He had a pretty good middle of the year. Um, And lately he's just kind of been the odd man out to a degree, mm. because they are doing he's a lot right-handed, of shuffling, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, and part of it, you know, is if you're going to leave someone on the bench, you leave a right-handed player on the bench. Yeah. So some some part of it is like, regardless of how good he's been, air quotes, second half of the season, um, he's just likely to kind of sit. Um, Roll an opportunity. If you look at things like his, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at stuff like what I would love to look at for a guy like him is I'm going to take the. Uh, you can go to to Savant's. Um, it's like the breakdowns tab, and they get like the rolling charts. And I'm going to throw up hard hit rate. And I'm going to adjust the minimum balls in play to uh, 200. Cause okay. I, and if you look at that, his hard hit rate has been stable all year. You look at his sweet spot rate, and it was really terrible to start the year, and it's dipped a little bit recently. You look at his strikeout rate, and you're just going to go through these. The strikeups have ticked up a little bit over time, and that that's probably the most concerning thing. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he's been fantastically terrible or anything like that. Did you say fantastic? Um, I, I'm going to pretend I did. I, <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, like, every, if you look at his stuff, like, he's got a 324 Woba and a 349 X Woba. In yeah. spite of what has been a uh, year-long uh, line drive, it looks normal for him. He's always kind of, like, just below 25%. Here he is, just below 25%. Yeah, uh, what, you can see that, that gap in luck, though. Yeah. Um, this is like the, the gap in luck that people can typically find. Uh, the difference between Woba and X Woba is, you know, like the, the fielder make the catch. And you, if you actually, I remember I went back through his like hard hit ball or his sweet spot balls in play uh, numbers early in the year. And there's just a ton of fantastic plays by defenders. Mm. And it happens. It, it does. Happens yeah. You definitely yeah. can't control that. All right. Let's so talk I'm, about the I'm youngsters. I'm fully concerned about him. I, I, I really want to get your take on this because I think that what you said is fair. They haven't been bad. Uh, but I definitely think it's fair to say that they haven't been what people were really hoping they would be. Uh, now, different situations uh, um, in terms of when they were available and, and all of that. But my my idea here in bringing this up is twofold. One, what's going on with them so that we can make good decisions about next year? Does it is there a trend in the right direction in the underlying data that suggests that there's a breakout coming? Uh, and two. Um, I, and this is probably something that you would have to spend more time on, but you know, if you compare what they've done to other rookies or youngsters, uh, who have gone on to have really good careers, is it really out of, out of whack? And, uh, my guess would be no. And, and I would really want to get to the idea that we put too much pressure on these kids to, to come up and be the thing they're, they're going to be in three or four years, which is a fair expectation. Um, and, and people are kind of expecting it right away, but, uh, you can, let's pick one and just let that be the, the kind of the, the model for this. You can go with Hayes or Vaughn. It doesn't really matter to me. Or if you want to throw a wild card, you can pick somebody else that you'd rather talk about. Uh, but kind of as the, the, uh, the model of how do we make good decisions about young players? So let me, let me take like a, a 45 second sidetrack on Cabrian Hayes before talking about Andrew Vaughn. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you want to guess why Cabrian Hayes batted? It was like three forty last year. Um, it was three seventy six through ninety five plate appearances. Yeah, I mean, fun with some small samples. Yeah. Do you want to know what in particular it was that prompted that batting average to be so high? Sure. It was his thirty two percent line drive rate. Mm-hmm. Um, he also just smoked the ball a ton. We didn't yeah. expect that. He got absolute perfect contact on quite a few balls. Uh, there wasn't like hit hard enough to be out out, but hard enough to be like a lot of doubles. I think was which might speak more to pitcher decisions, right? Like, okay, kid, hit this, and then he did, right? And, yes, and then you can make yeah. adjustments to that. 
yeah, that totally is it. You can see his fastball rate last year was above, like, yeah, above 60%. That is yeah. way too high yeah, for yeah, anyone yeah. who's good. That is that is rookie treatment. And this year, it's gone down. It's into, the, like, the, the mid-50s, upper 50s, something like that. Um, and you'll notice his zone contact rate is uh, has dropped from 93.7 percent which is by the way really fantastic <laughs> yeah. you cannot fake that um to the upper 80s still really yeah fun. um yeah. yeah he's chasing a little bit less this year which is really good to see um uh he's missed a little bit more but like still those are good bat to ball skills uh it's just like if you you should not expect his 55 percent hard hit rate to, to stay alive if they're adjusting to him and also he was smoking the ball because he was just perfect contact line yeah. drive this year 19 percent. yeah he's gonna turn it around so I that's no yeah. worries about him okay um, so the, it, that well, those numbers tell me and correct me if i'm wrong is that the talent certainly has not changed which you wouldn't expect in a young player uh if you put too much stock in what he did in 90 plate appearances that was pretty silly um and that he'll he'll probably grow into being better than what he was this year uh, but I mean, if you expect somebody to be a 360 hitter in this day and age, that's that's pretty unrealistic. So you're fine drafting him at fair value uh, going into next season. Yeah, I, he doesn't steal a ton, and he he was never a guy that flashed like elite, elite, elite raw power tools in the minors. Um, his max EV still is only at 111 his career. That's not mm-hmm. outstanding, right? Um, but you can be Matt Chapman light. Um, sure. And that's kind of what he might be in some respects. Do you think he also Chapman light. suffers slightly from his his surroundings? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt there. Yeah. Um, now, it, it is a beautiful set of surroundings. So I don't, yeah, I don't mean uh, the, the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, for Vaughn, I want to say his is much more interesting. Okay. Uh, for Vaughn, for Hayes, it's just like simple. People don't go looking for explanations about why someone did something really outlierish. Um, right. Yeah. Now for Vaughn, if it's good, it's much more right? interesting. That's what yeah. you mean. Yeah. If, yeah. They, if they're doing so, really well, people want to believe it's, it's real and not, not, uh, yeah, you look at Suarez and, and he's been bad. People are digging to figure out why somebody in, in a hundred plate appearances is off the charts and people are just like, Oh, he must just be that good. Um, yeah. Expectations. I, I, you got to manage your expectations. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, all of the signs about Andrew Vaughn, though, are mm-hmm. just like arrow up. Like yeah. this dude will be a top fifty producer within the next two seasons. Like this dude looks so legit. And part of that is um, that he's made adjustments this year. Mm. Well, doing things really well to begin with. He's been a bit un- unlucky, um, and it's been like the sort of like fielder in the right place kind of unlucky. Not the contact his line drive stuff looks fine, um, but. In terms of, and this is something I pulled up earlier today because I want to make sure I could cite this. In terms of his hard hit per PA rate, which is my favorite stat for measuring <laughs> the consistency of hitters. Yeah. Because hard hit balls are what you need to, to get on base. And you measure per PA because those are your opportunities. If right. you if you basically add hard hit plus walks, you can end up with a really nice uh, combination of just like how many of your PAs turn out good. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard to pull that up in stat cast really easily because I can't yeah. throw in walks and stuff at the same time. I, I sort that later. I will definitely look into that later this offseason. But Vaughn has d- just been crushing the ball here. He is out of, let me make sure I get the correct number of batters here. I, I set the bar at uh, 200 PAs. So you get 327 hitters. He is 
43rd out of 327 hitters. That is like the 88th percentile in hard hit PA. That is 32.2% of his plate appearances are hard hit balls. That is sandwiched between Nick Castellanos and Jose Ramirez. Okay. Yeah. Um, Not a bad place to be. And the thing is, the arrow is pointing up. He's been getting better. Yeah. Um, Since the all-star break, roughly. Um, he's just dramatically cut his uh, striker rate. Um, I want to make sure I can kind of get this. See, yeah, you grab the rolling charts. Yeah. Um, let me make sure I can grab the actual thing. I'm going to go back to his page here, um, so I can cite this exactly. But I'm going to set for strikeouts. Um, a 50 PA sample is fine because those actually come to to normalize really quickly. So he was striking out upper 20 percent of the time before the All Star break. Since then, he's uh somewhere around 15. Hmm. Okay. If you're hitting the ball as hard as him and um, striking and his, out uh, at 15%, yeah. That's really that's scary. Really, really good, yeah. That's yeah. really really scary. So if people um, are off him because they're just looking at those top level numbers, there's there's a lot of uh a lot of room for value there. Now, I think he, and here's a nice little place for us to kind of land the aircraft for the day, um so to speak. The story for him does show up in terms of his ex Um And yet, I I still think there's potential for us to like kind of like write away some of how cool this has been on the year, um, right? So he's got I, I okay. The reason I don't like hard hit rate, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up anyway, and people are gonna cite it. I don't like hard hit rate because players who put the ball into play more often instead of striking out are penalized by it. Yeah, the difference right. between a ground a weak hit ground ball and a strikeout is that if you a weak hit ground ball can still be a single. Um and if you hit the same number of hard hit balls, um, but you strike out more, your hard hit rate goes up. Right. Which is dumb. And I don't like <laughs> it. Um quote me on that as much as you want. Um But you know, in spite of him having on the year, uh it's now a twenty one percent strikeout rate. That'll go down. Um he's at a forty seven percent hard hit rate. Um so that's people are gonna like that. Yeah. Um, his boba is at three or is at three nineteen. His exoba is at three thirty four. Mm. His that's a little bit of unlucky, not a whole lot. Um, that's gonna get that's gonna go up. Yeah, uh, because again, the strikeouts are gonna go down. So if you're not like looking at the arrows on these sorts of things, you're not gonna catch some of these things. But I just want to say all of the news on Vaughn is very good. He's been screwed around by batting order. He's been screwed around by lack of consistent playing time. He hasn't always been able to get all of his platoon advantage somehow. Like he's right in it. Play him against all the lefties. He doesn't it's been <laughs> totally inexplicable. Mm-hmm. Um he's been easily though, I think, on the year the White Sox second or third best hitter. Um, like it's a Brayu. And then you can make an argument about whether it's him, Grandal or Tim Anderson. And I would put him above the other two. Wow. I there think he is you better than here. either of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, Eli's been hurt too, but like it, right, it would right. not be crazy at all to see Andrew Vaughn be better than Eloy Jimenez over the next two or three years. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, that, that would be great. I'm rooting for him. I really am. Um, they're they're kind of similar in some ways. Yeah, so yeah, we'll yeah. watch that. But yeah, um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. Draft about Andrew Vaughn. Um, I want to really do a quick hit here on pass fail, and then uh, see if we can wrap this up in in uh, under an hour for the first time, perhaps ever. Um, but this is really something that I am uh, extraordinarily curious about from your point of view, especially the analytical point of view. Uh, pass fail 
using the last week of the regular baseball season to determine fantasy playoffs, especially championships. Fail. All right, let's go home. <laughs> Good. Well, we agree. Yeah. I, I, I hate it too. Uh, there are Roto, I'm fine with it. it. Um, yes. Anything with playoffs, it's a, it's hard pass. That's why I included playoffs, uh, because I think that that's, that's really the uh, – Roto, it, you're including the whole season. It is what it is. Uh, but anything with playoffs, yeah, okay, I, I, I as well. I was expecting a little bit more of a, well, you know, this the, this number of players don't play and you have much more variation, and uh, and I didn't get it. So um, that's okay. Yeah. That's my, all right, though. One of my first um, games I went to in Camden Yards uh, when I moved to Baltimore was a meaningless game between the Orioles and the Astros at the end of the season in which neither of them played their starters. Now, for Baltimore at that point, it was not noticeable, but Houston <laughs> basically sat everybody. Yeah. It's going to be a little harder for that to, to make, like, or to, to rear its head in the same way with the less expanded rosters. We're probably going yeah, to see that's more full-strength, air quotes, lineups. Um, but don't be surprised if uh, with about... 10 games to go if we don't see someone air quotes hitting the il for something Mm. so that they can call up someone Uh, it'll be chicago who could do this or maybe or maybe maybe probably not houston who could screw around like that like this is like the the dodgeritis whenever they had the division on lock Mm -hmm. someone else might play around like that yeah yeah yeah. Um, but but i wouldn't suspect to be more than one or two guys at max if at all. And it's probably going to be pitchers, if at all. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a fair point. So maybe it has less of an impact this year than it would in, in years past. But there's nothing nothing worse than going into a championship week and losing because your studs aren't playing. Uh, that's very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll probably still play less. The, the bench will still play. Yeah, but right. I would expect that um, if you're relying on um, Carlos Correa um, or Jose Altuve, for example, because I think the Astros will have their division locked up for the last week, probably just the last week, but the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet you that you're going to see pretty much everyone in their starting lineup getting every other game off, and then the bench guys basically play all week, and mm-hmm. that allows them to kind of rotate it around. So, yeah, yeah, that makes some yeah. sense. Uh, and it'll happen to your opponent too, but still, it 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 just adds a whole new level of luck that that I don't really I don't really like. Um, all right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode right at the one hour mark, Alexander. We did it. Um, we did it. <laughs> if you could uh, go ahead and let the people know where they can find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.